Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name's Jared Clary. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my joy this morning for us to conclude our all-in series by focusing on joy. We hope that in this series, then maybe you've been challenged or convicted a little bit about what it means to, to love Christ and serve Christ and what it means to love others and serve others. And we, we hope that maybe you've been challenged in that and that you've seen a, an encouragement to do that to a, a further level. But we don't want you just to do those things out of ought or out of duty. We also want you to know that the scripture speaks that that in doing these things, we experience great joy. That it is in laying our life down, in serving Christ, that that we truly experience joy. Now, I was thinking about this passage, and um, I just couldn't get Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 out of my mind, which says that, that Christ... The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And, and that aspect of joy is what really kind of led me into studying this and a deeper dive into what does it mean to have joy and where does joy come from and asking all those questions. But the fact that, that Christ, for the joy set before him, he endured great hostility. He endured death and beating on the cross But it it was not out of ought or duty, but it was out of the joy that was set before him. And so I hope that this morning as we dive into this passage that you'll be challenged and encouraged, that you'll have a blueprint for how to experience joy. So let me read our passage and then we'll pray and jump into this. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that that you would open our eyes to self-awareness. Lord, that you would help us to discern even the thoughts and intentions of our own heart. Lord, that we might experience the joy of the Lord. That we might experience the reality of the joy that Christ offers to us in walking with him. Lord, that you would bring about a joy in us, that we would display it to a world which is so desperately in need of hope, so utterly fascinated with finding happiness and joy, but Lord, that we would show them the lasting joy. We pray that you would do it in us through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start by giving a definition of joy. It's kind of one that I've pieced together that I think captures a a helpful aspect of of what we're talking about. That that joy is a deep-seated emotion that is a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. The verb or action of which is to rejoice. Okay, so let's work through that just a little bit. That joy is a deep-seated emotion. What do we mean by that? Well, an emotion is a reaction, Right? That, that you can't just make yourself joyful because you want to be. It's impossible. Like, be joyful. 
how, right? Like, how? Tell me. How do I make myself joyful? But, but you can't just make yourself feel that way. In the same way, for illustration, like, I can't make myself be afraid of lions right now. Like, even if you offered me $1,000, like, be afraid of lions. Like, fear and the emotion of fear, I can't just make myself afraid. But if you change the context and the, the thoughts around me, then, then you can foster that fear, right? You can take me to the bush of Africa and you can kick me out of the car in front of a hungry pride of lions and you will have sufficiently fostered the fear, right? Like, we, we understand that, that you can't make yourself feel an emotion, that an emotion is a reaction, but you can set the context or the beliefs in which you can experience that. It's in this reality of, of joy being an emotion that we see that, that we can't control this, and yet the scripture commands it of us. Rejoice always to act out the joy in which we have, the emotion of joy which, which should go forth from us, that we have a command to do that. And we go, I can't make myself do that. And so it moves us to the second part of our definition that it is a deep-seated emotion that is a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, Galatians tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that a fruit is a byproduct which is produced by a plant. Right? That, that it is just produced. And in the same way, the byproduct of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit dwells, there is a production of joy. That it is a fruit of the Spirit. That, that by the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit is joy produced. But where the Holy Spirit is Joy is a fruit. And yet there's another important word in this definition that it is supernatural. That this is not of our natural accord. This is not of our fleshly natural reactions. That it is supernatural. That's why we can see throughout the scripture that amidst pain and suffering and persecution and trials that, that followers of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit walked away with joy having considered the fact that they were worthy to suffer like Christ suffered, that they would have joy in suffering, that there would be joy in laying your life down, that there would be joy in sacrificing yourself for the benefit of others, that is supernatural. That is not of this world, and the world doesn't understand it. And yet, it is in this that our joy displays a greater reality to the community that we're in. It's in this joy, in the display of this joy, that the world looks in and goes, what is it that you have? That though your body is being put to death, you are rejoicing. It is this joy that I want us to dive into and look at a little bit more. It is in this reality that the scripture lays out the context and the beliefs in which we can foster this joy. That we can set the context, as the scripture tells us, to where joy is the fruit which is produced in this context. 
So I want to give you three truths about joy that we see in the scripture. These are three ways that we can stack the context or build a context and a belief that fosters joy in our life. Number one, we experience joy by aligning our life with God's. We experience joy by aligning our life with God's. That God is the sovereign creator of all things, including each one of you in this room, including me, including you watching online, including you listening to this podcast. That God is the creator of all things, including us, and in creating us, he had a plan and a purpose for us. A good plan and a good purpose. A joy-filled plan and purpose. But we don't experience that joy. And we don't experience that goodness unless we align our lives with the path that God has for us. The Bible is clear that every one of us begins off the path in utter rebellion to God. That we are each opposed to God. That we are chasing after our own ways. That we are not on the path that God has destined for us and set for us. That we are off the path, rebelling against him. And so the first step to experiencing joy is to align your life with God's. And that comes by laying down our arms. It comes in surrender. Or to say it another way, as the scripture says, it comes by being born again. Now, for many of us, the language of saying being born again is ordinary or common. But maybe you're here today and you came with a friend and they just kept nagging you and you finally gave in. We're glad you're here, right? Persistence paid off. Or maybe your life has been experiencing chaos and you've driven past this church and you're like, let's try that. And now you're sitting here going, these people are crazy. How can someone be born again? How can you be born a second time? And you're in good company. Jesus actually had a conversation with a guy in John chapter 3 who asked the very same question when Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this guy goes, how can you be born again? And Jesus answered him and said, you must be born of the Spirit of God. You must be born of the Spirit. That in being born of the Spirit by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ, then you are born again. There is a new creation in you, is what the scripture says. That the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us, removes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And it's in this being born again that through believing in Jesus, then we get to experience the joy of aligning our life with God's plan. Luke chapter 15, verse 17 says that in that decision, that the heavens rejoice, that the angels shout for joy over that decision of aligning your life with God's through believing in Jesus Christ, that that's the first step. But I'm, I'm telling you today that that friend that brought you or one of the pastors up here, there would be no greater joy for us or for you than to celebrate that decision with you. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, let today be that day and experience the joy of aligning your life with God's. But if we look at our passage today, that's the first step in aligning our life. 
But there's many more steps that come. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so since we're surrounded by this group of of people who have walked this life before us, let us also, like them, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. That this passage tells us that there's an initial step, but that there are many more steps to come, and those steps look like a lot of loss. They look like a lot of loss to us because in aligning our life with God's, it changes our priorities and values. Because when we're running down this path, and then we change and we start running down this path, we can't keep holding on to the things of that other path. That's what the scriptures say. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. I'm not a runner. There's some runners in here. I don't pretend to be a runner. But if you watch marathon runners, they don't carry a lot of stuff with them, right? Like they just, they don't have backpacks on. They don't have their computers with them. They don't have their phones with them. They, they just run. They've laid aside all of these other things. And in the Christian life, as we align our life with God, it changes our priorities to where we will lay aside sin, the things which pull us off the path, but we will also lay aside things which just weigh us down. It's not sinful stuff. It's just not beneficial stuff. It just doesn't help me run stuff. It's weight. And when we're running with endurance, a race, a long race, then we want to get rid of the weight that doesn't help us run. It's in this that we experience joy. In aligning our life and getting rid of the weights which, and the sins which so closely entangle us that we experience joy. Let me see if I can illustrate it in this way. Let's say my kids get some cheap toys. We call them 24-hour toys. They come out of kids' kids meals. They spontaneously decombust after 24 hours. They just disappear. Kids are like, where'd they go? We're like, I don't know, disappear, right? It's great, try it. They just, 24-hour toys. They only last 24 hours. You can play for it 24 hours and then it's gone. My kids get some of these toys. And they're playing with them. I walk in the room and I go, get your shoes on, let's go. Load up in the car. And what do my kids do? They respond by snapping to attention like the Von Traps and saying, yes, Father, let's go. <laughs> no. No, that's not what they do. I live in that world sometimes. I'm like, they're going to do it one of these times. No, what do they do? They say, where are we going, Dad? Where are we going? They want to know the destination. Because they want to know if the path is worth it for laying aside the things which they're playing with. You see, but let's sweeten the deal. Let's say that we are going to the destination of a shopping spree. We're going to buy out the toy department. But in order to experience the joy of buying out the toy department, you've got to lay aside the cheap toy. You've got to lay aside the 24-hour toy. That you can't experience the joy 
of the destination if you continue to cling to the things which so easily entangle us. You see, God's ways are best, and aligning our life with God's fosters our experience of joy. You see, Jesus said this to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 31. He says this, Peter began to say to him, see what we have left everything and followed you? Peter's telling Jesus, Jesus, look, we left everything. We laid aside everything. Look at us. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first that there is a promise from the scripture that it's worth it. That to lay aside the things of this world is worth it in our pursuit of aligning our life with the path that God has for us. Which leads me to my second truth, that we experience joy by knowing the assurance of our destination. We experience joy by knowing the assurance of our destination. Jesus told his disciples in that passage in Mark that that it would be worth it and that they would receive eternal life in the age to come. The destination of eternity with God is secure for those who are in Christ. Hebrews 2.12 says it this way, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. What was the joy that was set before Christ? It was the assurance that he would purchase back and redeem a people for himself, that he would be exalted to the right hand of the Father, and that it was sure and complete. What are the words that are said? It's finished. It's finished. It is secure It is assured. You see, it's the destination of what was to come that gave Christ joy in enduring through the valley. It was fixing his gaze on the assurance of the destination that gave joy in the midst of the trial. There is a joy, an assurance of the destination, an accomplishment of the goal that was set before Christ, which was the cause to endure the suffering. And we're challenged to consider Christ. That the path in which we align ourselves with God, the path that ends in everlasting joy, eternal life with God, is worth it. And it is sure. You see, our destination is sure because Christ is the, perf- is the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith. That he will Make it complete. That he who began the good work in you will complete it. But this is a truth that we must constantly remind ourselves of, right? In the first service, I said the, the 70 or 80 years that we have on this earth, I think I want to bump that after talking with some people, to the 80 or 90 years that we have on this earth. It's a vapor in light of eternity. 
It's an absolute vapor. And yet, we focus on the things of this life to bring us joy when we can fix our gaze on the assurance of the destination which does not waver. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That it's not worth even comparing. There's not a comparison to the suffering that we face in this present time in light of the glory that is to come. That's not minimizing the suffering that you're going through. That's magnifying the glory that is to come. That it's worth it. And there's joy in that. We experience joy not by the success or comfort of our present circumstances, but by the assurance of our destination that we will be with the Lord for all of eternity. It is more and it is better than you can fathom. The truth is so important for us to remember this because we're so prone to forget it. Luke chapter 10, I love this story. Jesus is sending out these missionaries and there's 72 of them and he gives them this weird charge and he's like, I'm sending y'all out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And we're like, wow, that's not a very good rally cry, right? Like you don't see that one in movies like Braveheart and things like that. We're sheep in the midst of wolves. Like you don't see that. But he sends them out. And he tells them, like, very specifically, don't take anything with you. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Like, just go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Proclaim that message. And they come back. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, it says this, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We can tell demons what to do and they obey. That's awesome. They came back with joy. Like I can't tell my kids what to do. And yet I can tell demons what to do and they obey. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. He just told him, like, I've made you invincible. Nothing can hurt you. But listen to his words. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the fact that you're invincible. Don't rejoice in the fact that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in this present success. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the assurance of the destination that you will Be with the Lord. That is the cause of joy. Our charge is not to rejoice in the power or success we have in this vapor of time, but to fix our eyes on the destination and rejoice in our assurance that in Christ we will get there. This is the context for the deep-seated emotion of joy to be found in your life. This leads me to our last truth, That we have seen the beginning step, we've seen the end destination, and now we get to see in the middle that we experience joy with progress along the path. Progress along the path. This happens in two ways. 
We, we get to experience joy as we ourselves, individuals, progress along the path. That God has a good plan for you, and as you progress along that path, you experience joy in that. What does that look like? Well, I ran a Tough Mudder. I told y'all I'm not a runner. I ran a Tough Mudder, 13.2 miles. I need a sticker. <laughs> Crazy obstacles. I never want to do it again. I did it once. Right? Let me tell you, every step of that race was not joyful. But there was joy in knowing that the step I just took got me closer to the finish. There was joy in progress along the path. And in our life, we experience joy as we progress along the path of sanctification. As we look more and more like Christ, we experience joy in that. That, that we don't succumb to the same sin that we used to or we don't stay down in the valley as long as we used to or the valleys aren't as deep as they used to be that there is progress there is growth there is sanctification and and that fills us with joy to look back and remember who we once were but that's not who we are paul talks about such were some of you but you've been washed you've been sanctified you've been cleansed joy in that a deep-seated emotion of knowing that's who I was but that's not who I am anymore there's joy in progress along the path for us as individuals Hebrews mentions this because he says let us run with endurance there's a plural there there's a, an aspect of individually we move together, but the, the other aspect that this hits on is there's joy in the progress, but, but there's joy in helping others along the path. That's the other way we experience it, that we help others along the path. Philippians, a book all about joy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 26 says this. Paul's talking to these this church, and he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says that the destination is better than where I'm at now. He's got that goal in focus, the assurance of the destination, but he says this, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He's going to bear fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. Verse 24, catch this. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What does he mean? He says, for me to stay here is better. It's more necessary to help you progress along the path. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That there was a symbiotic, mutual relationship in which Paul found joy in the Philippians and the Philippians found joy in Paul and they encouraged each other to endure and make progress along the path. Paul rejoiced in the Philippians in, ver in chapter 1 because of their progress in the faith. And the Philippians rejoiced in Paul because of his encouragement and his own progress in the faith. If you want to experience joy in this life, 
pour your life out in helping others progress along the path. It's called discipleship. Lay your life down in order that others might progress along the path. And you'll experience joy. You will set the context for a deep-seated emotion as a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit to just grow rampant. Paul makes mention of this in the scripture that he says there's no greater joy than to know that you're walking in the faith. That Paul, in turn, laying his life down that others might grow, then there was no greater joy than to know that they were continuing in it. If you lay your life down for others, you'll experience joy. It's a promise of the scripture. It's the context in which the Holy Spirit works. This is exactly why we do service teams the way that we do. This is exactly why we do community groups the way that we do. We set a context in which you encourage one another and link arms with others to help each other grow along the path and make progress. And we pray that you experience the joy of it. That it's not out of duty or ought, but that it's out of the joy that's set before you. There's one last thing that I want you to see in this passage. There's the same wording in the fact that it says, let us run the race that is set before us. It's set before us, that you have a path set before you. And it was the joy that was set before Christ that he endured. Christ had a path and he followed the will of the Father and he experienced great joy. You have a path and it's set before you today that you can experience great joy. You can rejoice always because of the supernatural, deep-seated emotion and gifting of the Holy Spirit in your life. So let me conclude by asking you this. Are you experiencing joy? The scriptures have given us a way. They have shown us that we can foster that. You can't make joy happen in your life, but you can sure set the context. You can sure train your mind on the beliefs that will produce it. That by aligning our life with God and being assured of the destination and by making progress along that path, you'll experience it. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word that instructs us that tells us how we can have this joy that is a gift, that is far better than anything this world has to offer. It's far better than the fleeting happiness of the, the success or the things of this age. Lord, that you give us a lasting joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us to set that context that we might experience that joy and display it to this world. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.